never leave or forsake me when you said this life is gonna shake me when you said this world is gonna bring trouble oh my soul but this i know when everything falls apart your arms hold me together when everything falls apart you're the only hope for this heart when everything falls apart and my strength is gone i find you mighty and strong you keep holding on all around me when I see the tragedy has found me I still believe your faithful arms will never let me go
you guys may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Spring. And I know it's when you came in this morning, it's a little crowded and congested, but help is on the way. So when you have a hard time getting out of the parking lot today, just think about this. On the 29th of this month, we start a fifth service, actually a third service on Sunday. So it's going to lighten the load in here and give you a whole new opportunity. It's at 8.15. And I know that's early, but I promise you, it'll be worth coming there's a little incentive for coming at 8.15 for all of you who get up early, okay? And all five of our services are the same, so it's not like anything's going to be different. But if it gets a little, you know, these week, last few weeks, I know today's a little better with State Fair going on, but it, I know it gets really, really congested, and, and, and we know that. So help's on the way. If you can come at 8.15, if you're an early morning person, it would really be great. It will help us make more room for more people here at New Spring. Um, so think about that. And, and then in a few moments, we're going to have the second installment of our series, Road Trip. And we have a very special guest here that I want to introduce to you right now. Uh, you know, through the years, there have been a handful of people that I wanted you to hear from. And the guy you're going to hear from today is at the top of the list. His name is Jay Strack. And I've known about Jay for all my adult life just about. Jay's an extraordinary communicator. And just every week of his life, Jay's going to be training Fortune 500 company leaders. He's going to be speaking for pro ball clubs. Tom Landry heard him speak many years ago and had him come speak for the Cowboys. Great friend of Landry. For all of you who are Dallas Cowboy fans, I know this is not a good day to be a Dallas Cowboy fan because I understand who we're playing. But I'm just telling you, Jay, is, he has spoken for so many professional uh, teams did the chapel for the NBA All-Star game and all that. I mean, just, I can't even begin to, I, if I gave you a proper introduction, I'd take all his time. So not only is he trained leaders, he's spoken many times to the Air Force Academy training leaders out there, but the passion of his heart is students. And Jay has talked to more high schools than any other human being. Houston Chronicle, Dallas Morning News, said that he's talked to, he's done more high school assemblies than anybody else. 10,000 high school assemblies, 15 million students, and, and what's really amazing is Jay started something called Student Leadership University to train the next generation of leaders because he would go into Fortune 500 companies, he would wind up training 40-year-olds and teaching them what they should have known when they were in high school. And now he's doing that, taking high schoolers all over the globe, training them in student leadership. Jay Strack, my buddy, is here today to bring the second installment of Road Trip, and you're going to love him. I'm so glad he's here. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now to receive the morning offering. If you will, take a look at what's going on here at New Spring, and in just a moment, Jay Strack. God bless, and thanks for being here today. Oh, New Spring. I'm so excited. You know what's coming up next. That's right. It's a message from God's Word. It's going to be great. I can't wait to hear it. Speaking of hearing it, yeah, if you're like talking and making noise, or if you have kids that are making noise, take them to the kids' world or take them to the foyer. Yeah, because we want to make sure everyone hears what God has to say. Oh, and don't forget to sign at your cell phone. Hey, are you new to New Spring and you're asking yourself, what does New Spring have to offer me? Or maybe you're saying, what can I do at New Spring? Uh, don't ask anymore. I've got the answer for you. Yeah, it's called Discovery. It's coming up September 21 and 22. Yeah, now you can't go to both. You only go to one. But here's what happens. They've got some cool snacks there. You get to ask questions. You get to meet Pastor Mark. Oh, it's going to be awesome. And you can find out about all the cool ministries that go on here and where you can get plugged in. So go to newspring.org slash discovery and sign up. Okay, Newspring. I'm talking to just a certain select group of you out there. 
So if you like have this freaky schedule, you find yourself waking up at four in the morning, maybe you're a dairy farmer, you got cows, good morning. You're like, what am I gonna do at that terribly early hour in the morning? Maybe you work at Boeing and you're just getting off work. You find yourself saying, what am I gonna do so early in the morning? I've got an answer. Yeah, September 29th, starting at eight o'clock in the morning. It's 8.15, but get here early because you don't want to miss time for coffee, right? So come at eight, be ready for service at 8.15. And if you want to find out more, go to newspring.org slash schedule. Tour your final destination at Judgment House. Walk through Judgment House and experience a drama you won't soon forget. Judgment House happens the last two weeks of October. Reservations are recommended and are now open at newspring.org slash jh. Judgment House may just change your life forever. Typical Sunday morning opening, right? <laughs> Typical church service. Every church has got a vet coming through. Uh, I guess we know what the pastor's midlife crisis is, don't we? Uh, it's a guy thing, ladies. You have to, if you can't drive the vet, you got to at least touch the hood, right, guys? All right. Wow, what a great uh, privilege to be here this morning. Thank you for the introduction, Pastor. Man, second best introduction I've ever been given. I mean, that was outstanding. I mean, that was, I, even I want to hear me after, after that introduction. <laughs> the best introduction was not long ago. The guy that was supposed to introduce me didn't show up, so I introduced myself. That was probably, <laughs> you should have heard that one, man. It was just unbelievable. You'd really want to hear, hear me then. Uh, I'm not going to spend all my time telling you what an honor, what a joy, what a thrill. You know how speakers are sometimes, how excited they are about being somewhere. And, I, and all that's true. I am pumped because I've heard for some time how God has his hand heavy upon what's going on out here. And it's exciting what's happening uh, at your church. But I'd be tempted to do that except, again, in another program, the guy who spoke before me, I promise you, spent 15, 20 minutes what a dream come true. What a thrill. What a, what a blessing. I mean, he went on and on how happy he was to be there. And the guy next to me leaned over. He didn't know I was on the program. He leaned over and said, man, I wish that dude be quiet and make us glad he's here. And uh, <laughs> so it's one thing for the dude to be glad he's somewhere, right? It's a whole other thing for the folks to be glad. So my prayer is, I'll share in a way you'll know I'm pumped to be here. And prayerfully, hopefully, I'll say something that will be an encouragement and be a help, because I sure want to. If you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 14. Now, one thing about your service and your church, as you know, you can plainly spot the exit. The fire marshal has to be very pleased. 
They're very pronounced. You see it, especially when the lights are dim in some of the praise and worship or the video showing. And I want you to know, having taken three flights to get here uh, yesterday, uh, that's the first thing you do when you sit on a plane. That makes you feel welcome. The minute you sit down, they're telling you how to get off in a hurry. You know, that, that's, that's when you know they're really glad you're there. But the word exit, of course, means the way of escape, how to get out. And it's good to know when you really need to make a change and you need, really need a new location, when you really need to get up and move, it's really good to know the way of escape. Well, that's what the book of Exodus is all about, how to get out, how to get a new start, how to start over. The children of Israel had been enslaved for hundreds of years. Now, they didn't go to Egypt to be enslaved. There wasn't even that possibility about them being enslaved. They went during a famine, and things went great. And then a new ruler came in, and the political winds changed, and Pharaoh had an ego out of control, and the children of Israel became enslaved and trapped. Hundreds of years. They prayed and prayed for a way out. God heard their prayer, answered their prayer. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. The way of escape, how to get out, how to get out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh's whip, away from the crushing burden upon them. Their, their wife could be taken, their children could be taken. And all those years, all they had, by the way, it's interesting as I look at this uh, uh, replica here of this vet, and it's not much of a replica, by the way. It's... Uh, I think it would really go, all right? But uh, I want you to understand, that's about how much space the Israelites had. Their home and their garden was about this size. That was all they owned. And they would have to, after working 15 hours as a slave in the Sinai Desert, right, they would have to then go, the men get two buckets, and they would go to the Nile. And Herodotus, the father of history, said the Nile was the most crocodile-infested water in the world. So even at the end of the day, it was risky just to get enough water so you could water a little patch of ground in the desert. And they grew onions and cucumbers and garlic. It was about the only thing that would grow there. So the children of Israel had a miserable, difficult existence. There's got to be a way out. They kept praying, dear God, if you're real, God, if you care, God, if it's possible, could you send somebody? Could you get us out of here? So Exodus is that great miracle, the way of escape. Now, what's the next book? It's the book of Leviticus. I don't know if you've ever waded through the book of Leviticus, but it's, uh, it's uh, heavy lifting to go through Leviticus. All the thou shalls. Thou shall do this, and thou shall not do that. Thou shall do this, and thou shall not. I mean, a lot of thou shall nots. So what's going on? Exodus is how to get out of Egypt. Leviticus is how to get Egypt out of you. Because all those old customs, all those old habits, all those old thoughts, all that baggage from all those years of being in slavery, they took with them to the promised land. So even if you get out, you get into a new relationship, you get into a wonderful marriage, your family, you got all these things, maybe a new job, maybe things have really turned the corner. If you're not careful, even though you're out of Egypt, guess what? 
we can still have a lot of Egypt in us. You ever been there? I know I have. You see, I was 17 before I ever heard John 3.16. I was 17 before I ever heard that God was on my side, that he was compassionately concerned about me. My dad left when I was uh, six years old. My father played uh, football for the University of Florida. My dad had a master's degree. My father served under Patton. He was a captain in the Hell on Wheels Armored Tank Division. My father owned four automobile dealerships. My dad had everything a man could want. Beautiful home, successful business, adorable, lovely little boy. And uh, <laughs> same to you, Betty. But uh, anyway, but I, I want you to know my dad had everything. But my dad started drinking in high school. Drank at the party fraternity at the University of Florida. Drank in the military. And when he came home, the horrors of war, and by the way, if you've not ever served, not ever been in combat, ever been under fire, you don't ever really understand. But evidently, my dad saw some things, experienced some things. Maybe it's because he started when he was young, crawling into a bottle. I don't know if something else happened to make it worse, but I know my father had a real drinking problem. So when he was sober, greatest guy in the world, when he drank, it was WrestleMania, all right? So my dad left when I was six. My mom tried to keep our family together. She couldn't take care of my brother and I, and I never will forget the night with tears. She was forced to give my brother to her parents to take care of and to raise. And so alcohol had cost me my dad. Alcohol had cost me my brother. And then we began to move, it seemed like, every six months. And so I went through four broken homes by the seventh grade, six by the tenth grade. My mom, devastated by a divorce, there wasn't singles ministries, there weren't churches back then that had programs for singles. If you were single, I mean, oh, oh, heaven for, you know. And it didn't matter if you had anything to do with it or not. Somebody walked in and turned your life upside down. But, so my mom, the only place to get companionship would be somewhere where there was a bar. It all revolved around alcohol. So that's why six broken homes by the 10th grade. I was physically abused as a kid, sexually abused as a kid. And as a young guy growing up, I was clueless about the things of God. And pretty soon I started following the crowd, played every game my generation said you had to play in order to be cool, drink this, smoke that, try this, do that. So I ended up being a junkie by the time I was uh, in the 10th grade. I'd already been busted twice. By the time I was a senior in high school, I'd been busted four times in and out of detention centers, foster homes. So as a kid growing up with hair to my waist and track marks everywhere, I was 17 years old till I ever heard the message of the Bible. For I had a clue that Jesus died on the cross. Now I wore a surfer's cross probably four years of my life. And I never will forget a guy on a surfboard is the one who told me what the cross stood for. I noticed there were some on churches. I thought maybe a lot of surfers went there. I mean, I really had no clue about the surfer's cross. And uh, are about the cross. So I was 17. So I want you to know, uh, I was new to all these things called faith and, and God being able to change your life. I'd kind of been taught, if you're a man's man, you don't need that. As long as you've got a beer in one hand, and you've got a lady on the other hand, and you can talk any way you want, do what you want, that made you a man. That was, unfortunately, the model I had. So at the age of 17... I looked up and I needed an exit. I needed a way of escape. I needed a second chance. And so what I want us to do today, with your permission, please give it because 
It's probably going to be what we're going to do. But anyway, what I'd like to do this morning, with your permission, of course, is share about that great story. I know you're on this remarkable series. As the pastor likes to say, this is going to be the greatest series I've ever done. You ever heard him say that? <laughs> Last night we had hummus. It was the greatest hummus. In Lebanon doesn't have hummus like they have here in Wichita. I mean, you know, but anyway, so I know this is, we're in the midst of this great new series, and it is a pretty cool series, no doubt about it. But uh, I want to share with you that great redemption story about it really is possible. I mean, lay all the preacher talk aside, lay all the church stuff aside. It really is possible to have a life-saving, life-altering experience. It really is possible to find out that uh, there's somebody who's on your side. I never had a father. Now I've got a father. I didn't have much of a family. Now I've got an unbelievable family. And I certainly never had a future. You know, I'd been told I wouldn't be able to graduate school because I'd missed so many classes. My grades were so bad. My police record was so bad. Thirteen colleges turned me down, by the way. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to go join the Army. And the Army said, we're all right, Jay. We got it covered uh, <laughs> during Vietnam. I mean, you know. And that didn't really, I didn't take it personal until I saw Forrest Gump. And, uh, <laughs> well, that'll make you feel good about yourself. No, Jay, we'll call you. And run, Forrest, run. But no, but anyway, so, so. Not that I was sensitive or anything, but I want you to know it's hard to, to feel like you really bring anything to the party. I remember sharing one time with a reporter about how that I had been turned down by 13 schools. And then after I asked the Lord into my life and he saved me and changed me and delivered me. And, and, and the only thing I brought, the only real gift I had was a big mouth. And, and so I, soon I got to talk about this remarkable thing the Lord had done for me. And I told that I'd been invited to all 13 of those schools, either to teach or to speak. And the lady said, and I just kind of threw out that sentence. I'd never really put it together before, but I said, and yeah, by the way, all those schools that turned me down, now all of a sudden they asked me to come and speak. She said, I bet it felt good to turn them down, didn't it? I said, are you crazy? I went to every one of them. And I spoke, and when I got through, I looked at them and said, your mama. Because... Uh, <laughs> That's just kind of how I rolled at the time. I would never, I'm too spiritual to do that today, of course. All right. So, Exodus chapter 14, we got to get to it because this is the greatest series in the history of all series, right? The greatest new series. All right, so here we go. Exodus chapter 14, let's begin, please, in verse 5. And now it was told the king of Egypt that the children of Israel had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they began to say, why have we done this? Why did we let Israel go from being our servants? We're losing all that economic prosperity. We're losing all that free labor. They don't deserve it. Why are we letting them go? And so Pharaoh made ready his chariot. He took his people with him. He took the 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And he pursued the children of Israel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the most significant army on the planet at the time. The greatest number of chariots, 
greatest number of horses, greatest number of men. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world, even worshipped as a god. The children of Israel certainly knew about his temper, knew about his whims, knew he could change his mind and order all the babies. You know the story of Moses. Moses ended up in that crocodile-infested Nile in a little basket because Pharaoh had decided there were too many of the Jews and that all the male children ought to be thrown to the crocodiles or killed by the sword. And so his mom, you know the story, snuck him in that basket and floated him down the Nile, and his life was spared. And now that same little baby is the one who stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And so here now the children of Israel have begun their journey. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is verse 8. Notice what it says. The children of Israel went out from Egypt with boldness. Some versions say they went out with confidence. Some other versions say they went out with a high hand. I always love some of those older phrases. They went out with a high hand. What does that mean? Does that mean they were Baptists, so they only raised one hand? Praise the Lord real fast, you know? Or, or does that mean maybe they were giving the Lord a high five? Way to go, God. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're free. We're on our way to the, our own home. We're to no longer be at the whims of Pharaoh. But we know they began with confidence and joy and boldness. And may I remind you why? Remember there had been these plagues because Pharaoh said, I'm not letting the Jews go. I'm not letting the children of Israel go. They'll do what I say as long as I say it. And Moses warned them, Pharaoh, don't make the Lord God show you in all of Egypt that there are no other gods. Because Egypt worshipped many gods, as you know. Almost every temple would have, be dedicated to a god. Ra was the god of the sun. And sure enough, when darkness covered all of Egypt, what was the Lord doing? He pushed that man-made deity, Ra, off of the pedestal and said, there is no God besides me. If you worship the sun and there's darkness for several days, uh-oh, that's not good for your God. They also worship the Nile, Hopi, the goddess of the Nile. What do you th- how do you think they felt when the Nile turned to blood and everything in the Nile died? All of a sudden, they began to question. God showed one after another, there are no gods beside me. So the children of Israel were granted freedom Pharaoh said, all right, take them and go. So they began their journey. They'd seen what God had done. If you have your Bible open and you're at chapter, if you'll look at chapter 13, the last two verses just before the beginning of chapter 14, it'll tell you another reason why they began that journey with enthusiasm and confidence. And by the way, it's human tendency. Whenever we get that new job, the beginning of a school year, a new relationship, a new season, a new town. There's something about us. We think, wow, man, this is going to be different. I'm going to be different. And we're enthusiastic, but if we're not careful, same old habits come in, same old doubts come in. And the problem is most of us have so much baggage, we need a porter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, in a lot of weddings, they ought to, you know, one of the great wedding gifts you could give a couple is to give them a personal porter to carry all the baggage we bring into those marriages, right? Because we all have baggage. And if we're not careful, those old doubts and those old habits and the things we've always struggled with will creep back into our lives. So the children of Israel began the journey with boldness and enthusiasm. So not only did they see, because number one, that's human nature, a new beginning. Number two, 
They'd seen God at work, but also notice these last two verses of chapter 13. Notice it says in verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to show the way. And he went by night in a pillar of fire to lead the way. So they could see the presence of God. They'd seen the miracles of God. And now they're getting a chance to start over. And the Bible says they were pumped. They were psyched. Can I be honest with you? The night that I heard about Jesus, the night that I heard if God be for me, who could be against me? The night I understood, explained to me for the first time why Jesus died on the cross for me, and that if I'd have been the only one to ever blow it, ever to mess up, ever go astray, he still would have come just for me. The night I found out he rose from the dead, the night I found out that he loved me and wanted to be a part of my life, that night I stood and I asked Jesus to step out of heaven and step into my heart. And I went home that night and I flushed all the drugs, and I'd been a junkie for four years, methamphetamine. I, I, I flushed all the drugs and all the booze the night I gave my life to Jesus. All the rats were high in the sewer for about three years. <laughs> you say, Jay, how do you know? Because the rats were walking down the hallway going, here, giddy, giddy, giddy. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> you talking to me? You know, <laughs> tidy bowl man, ship ahoy. <laughs> Where's Ginger and Mary? I mean, you know, so weird, strange things were afoot at the Circle K. But anyway, so I, I flushed all the drugs. I flushed all the booze. And man, I was just so pumped. That, that somebody like me could have a new start, that somebody like me could have a second chance. So I know what it's like to begin with confidence and enthusiasm. But something can happen, even if you've gotten out of Egypt. Some of us that have been delivered from alcohol and drugs, some of us that have been delivered from that temper, hair trigger temper, some of us that have been through a past of a lot of mess and a lot of broken homes, and we've never really even seen anybody show us how to have a real meaningful marriage. I never saw that. Six broken homes, I was clueless. You know, I had no clue how to be a dad. I had no clue how to be a husband. I'm pretty much perfect now, but that's a whole other story. All right. But I want you to know I had a long way to go. Some of you are going, I can just imagine, right? So, so here I was, and we, I was so excited. But if you're not careful, circumstances can cause you to take your eyes off the pillar of fire in the presence of God, right? Remember you give your life to Jesus, you give your heart to the Lord, you get involved in that Bible study group, you get involved in that small group, you begin to make some new friends, and man, you can't wait to be here and you never miss, but if we're not careful over time, well, I don't need to be at every service, I don't need to, to give like I've been given, I don't need to be one of those that volunteer, you know, but when you first fall in love with Jesus, you go, man... Everything I have is because of him. And if you're not careful, the same thing can happen to us that happened to the children of Israel. So they started, it says they were full of confidence and boldness. But let's pick up the story. You ready? Verse 9 of chapter 14. So the Egyptians pursued them. Again, horses and chariots of Pharaoh. And it told us that the, the Egyptian army overtook the children of Israel when they were camping right on the edge of the Red Sea. In fact, there's, it tells you exactly where they were camping. Do you see it right there? Right before hard name number one, right? And just beside hard name number two. Now, you've read those hard names. Don't pretend you know how to say them. There's hard name number one, hard name number two. That's where they were camping. Okay? 
Now, you're going to hear a lot of insights like this because this is the greatest series that's ever, ever been done. There'll be these, more of these kind of insights coming, all right? Now, why in the world do we have some random throwaway sentence? They were camping at Pi, Hatharah, and Baal Zephon. You go there today, there's a pile of rocks that was Pi, Hatharah. There's another pile of rocks over here that was Baal Zephon. But please remember, when you're reading along in the Bible and you read about some obscure person or some obscure little river or somebody dug a well over here or there was a mountain by this name or this town, you know, why all those little minor details? I wish you, if you have anything that'll write, pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, just make a note in your Bible because I promise you this will be helpful. Whenever you read something like that, I want you to think of two words, latitude longitude these are real places folks this is a real event this isn't a story that we tell the children over in the kids zone this is not vacation bible school this is not a wonderful tradition or legend or saga these are real people they lived at real times there were these real towns these things really happened and just like God intervened for the children of Israel, he'll intervene for you. And just like God got them through all these obstacles, all these dead ends, you ever felt like you're making good time in a job? You're making progress in a relationship? You really are off to a good start in the school year? Things seem to finally be maybe working out for you, and boom, something will happen. Well, that's how it is all through Scripture. And you run into a wall or you're trapped by the Dead Sea. Here was, excuse me, the Red Sea. Here was the Red Sea in front of them, this massive sea. And there's the most powerful army in the world coming behind them. And notice what the Bible says, tells us in verse, uh, verse 10. And the children of Israel became very afraid. They lost their joy. They lost their confidence. And by the way, they began to cry out unto Moses. And listen to what they said to Moses. Moses, is it because there's no room in Egypt that you drug us out here in the desert to die, to be buried? And can I just pause and ask a question? What's the one country in the history of the world synonymous with embalming and tombs and burials and graves? Anybody have a clue? <laughs> it's Egypt. You ever been in an argument with somebody and then they hit below the belt or they, they really go too far, they really do something, you know, wow, they should have never gone there. The children of Israel hit Moses below the belt. Moses, I guess they ran out of room to bury people in Cairo, so you brought us out here in the desert to make it easy for the Egyptians. We'll just get buried out here. And then they said something interesting. Didn't we tell you leave us alone? Didn't we tell you to stop? Didn't we tell you we like being in Egypt? Now, I'd like to teach you a little Hebrew phrase, if I might. Wouldn't you like to work tomorrow or school tomorrow, be able to lay a little Hebrew on somebody? Just kind of let them know who's the man. You know what I mean? Just kind of let them all know who's really engaged, you know. Let me teach you a Hebrew phrase. If you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, write it in the margin of your Bible. I'll say it phonetically. But let's learn a Hebrew phrase. This is literally what the children of Israel said to Moses. Did we not tell you? But in the Hebrew, you ready? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Would you write that down? 
sir, you're not writing. <laughs> now, by the way, this is a loving husband. I said, sir, you're not writing. He pointed to his wife. She doesn't have a pen. <laughs> I bring her to church. She could take notes. Uh, is he always like this? Yeah, I can tell. All right. So, uh, but anyway, so I want you, he needs this series, by the way, and this is a great series coming. All right. But I want you to understand, these folks lied. They never said we want to stay in Egypt. That'd be like me going, oh, I want to be a junkie. <laughs> I want to be busted for the fifth time. I want to lose three or four more friends who don't make it home from the party. I want to be like my dad. I want to go through six marriages. I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody ever says that, do it. But yet sometimes we'll go, well, I, I never wanted this new life. Really? Is that true? So folks, listen to me. The children of Israel went from being very excited to very afraid. Why? There's an interesting phrase. They shifted their gaze. They took their eyes off the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the presence of God. And they began to listen to some of the murmuring back here and some of their buds back here in the back. And they weren't following close. They weren't following closely to the things of God. They're way back here. Some of them are saying, man, it's hot. It's a long way. When are we going to get there? Why do we have to listen to Moses? Who died and made him in charge? I mean, you know, there's always a few of those. And somebody way in the back turned around and saw this cloud of dust that blocked the sun. This most powerful army coming through the desert. And they said, uh-oh, and word spread. So ladies and gentlemen, in every journey, this is true of every decision you have to make. It's true this morning. It's true in your marriage. It's true in your profession. It's true with your family. It's true with your spiritual life. Every possible decision you have, we really only have three choices. Number one, the children of Israel said, let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to how it used to be. Listen to what Moses said. Moses said in verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you shall see today, you'll see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. Quit whining, quit complaining, be quiet. Moses said what? We can't go backwards, but stand still and see what God will do. Now that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? God will fight for you. God will take care of the Egyptians. Stand still. There's only one problem. It's called the next verse. You always want to read the context. I always like to know what was going on a few verses before. I always like to know what went on a few verses after, right? The context of what's said. Notice the very next phrase. The Lord said unto Moses, why are you crying out unto me? You can just see the Lord saying, stand still. Stand still. You think I delivered everybody, did all those miracles, got them freedom so that they would now just quit and stand still? In the next verse, tell the children of Israel that they go forward. So ladies and gentlemen, there it is. We can go backwards. We can stand still and kind of coast. But you and I know in a relationship, you start coasting. You put things in neutral. 
You start taking each other for granted. You start coasting on the job. You start kind of mailing it in at school, going through the motions. In life, when you stand still, you're really what? You're going backwards. In the climate, economic climate like it is, you stand still, you're going backwards. Pastor, you know, the minute the church just kind of goes through the motions, you're really going backwards. The people said, let's go back. Moses compromised because he loved the people. He cared about the people. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be popular. Nobody wants to make the hard call. Moses said, stand still. But the Lord said, Moses, tell them I want them to go forward. And you know the story. Moses raised the rod of God. And the Bible says that there was this incredible miracle. And the sea opened up. And the children of Israel crossed over. Now, I always love, you know, I'm on a lot of university campuses. I always love it when Dr. Wine and Cheese comes out, you know. He's got his little pipe. We're not sure what's in the pipe. But, uh, and he starts doing surgery on the Bible. And there are folks that say, well, what happened? Is that about every two or three hundred years, there's a wind that blows out of the south. And if the barometric pressure reaches a certain point, that the wind will blow and it actually looks like the water is being blown back. Okay? And that just at the moment they needed it, that very second, the southerly wind just began to blow, picked up speed somewhere off the Cape of Horn, and you know, here, I mean, you know, and made its way. Now, isn't it interesting that it stayed that way until the children of Israel crossed? And when the Egyptians were about halfway through, all of a sudden, the barometric pressure dropped again. And the wind began to, we had a northeastern blow in down and, and came around the mountain and one up the whoopsie daisy. And, 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 and before you know it, now all the Egyptians are dead. Now, folks, come on. I think thou dost protesteth a little too much, right? We get sometimes you believe more jive than to just believe God could do it. God made a way of escape. He did that for me. I have no trouble believing that's what happened here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the night I gave my heart and life to Christ, I had this Red Sea experience. I mean, I, you got to understand, I'm a junior, senior prom, coming home. I was driving very carelessly, had been partying, had a beautiful young girl with me. By the grace of God, I dropped her off and then had an accident. Can you imagine guys being so selfish and so careless that you would have somebody's daughter, this beautiful young lady? I mean, I think by the grace of God, I didn't have that accident with her in the car. And I did a lot of damage. My car was totaled. I've spent all summer in a detention center. They liked me there, folks. They all adored me. So I was there a lot. Uh, but uh, I, I want you to know, I had no car, no driver's license my senior year. That's not a cool thing, right, if you're a senior. So my best friend, a guy named Jibby, said, Jay, anywhere, that anything going on, you can go with me. You and your date can go with me and my date. and Don't worry about it. And for about 12 weeks or so, I, every weekend, Jimmy was my, my bud, my brother, my, had the wheels. One weekend, I went a different direction than Jimmy and his girlfriend, and Jimmy didn't make it home that night. And neither did that beautiful young lady. And I stood over the grave of yet another friend. And I knew my life was empty. 
And I remember thinking all the times that I had said, God, if you're really real, have somebody talk to me. God, there's got to be another way to live. And I got to looking at my life, and I didn't want my, if I ever had kids, I didn't want them to go through what I went through. I didn't want to be the kind of dad that I had had. Now, by the way, after the Lord changed me, I was able to lead my dad to the Lord. And we, we ended up having three or four great years together. And uh, I'm, so, I mean, the Lord's been so good, but I didn't want my kids to go through that, right? Doesn't mean you don't love somebody if you just want better for your own kids, right? And so guess what? That night, Jimmy was gone, and I prayed again, God, if you're real. And I was out on a surfboard off the coast of Florida, and I said, you know, I, I asked you if you were real. It seems like one person, somebody would help me or want to talk to me about what to do. And a guy came paddling up and said, Jay, can I tell you about the greatest person I've ever met? I said, what's her name? I thought he was bragging. You know, I didn't know. I mean, what do I know? He said, it's Jesus. I mean, you know, I just prayed that prayer five minutes earlier, but this, I, you know, that was a coincidence. The southern wind blew him out and, you know, and the barometric pressure fell. I mean, so Jimmy's now gone, and I go to this service that a bunch of teenagers were leading to say goodbye to Jimmy. And there was a young preacher there, and he opened the Bible. And young people were singing. They got through playing their guitars and singing. And with tears, they talked about how Jesus changed their life. And then this young guy brought a message about that Jesus died because of my rebellion and my sins. I'll never forget when I heard that it was my dating life that drove the spikes to his left hand. And it was my language or my drugs and drinking that drove the spike to his right hand. Or maybe the way I treated my mom. Or I mean, you know, just no, that it was me that nailed Jesus to the cross. My sin, my rebellion. And that he was buried and he rose again. That Jesus is alive. And he said, I'm asking Jesus to show you. And he said, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you'll open the door and invite him into your heart. And then he asked a question. How many of you, maybe for the first time in your life, but tonight you'd be willing to say, I know I need Jesus. I understand he loves me. I understand he died and paid for my mess, my sin, my rebellion, and I understand that he's alive. How many of you tonight would like to ask him to come into your heart? And I remember that night I raised my hand, but I did something you're not supposed to do. You know when he goes, every head bowed, every eye closed? I, could, I knew you'd, I, I knew, I'm not surprised, but anyway, I, so I mean, I'm looking around, every head bowed, and I saw Tom Murphy, our all-state tackle, he took up like three spaces, and he raised that big old arm up. I saw Darrell, our high school quarterback, an incredible athlete, popular guy in our school, raised his hand. I saw the toughest guy in our school, a guy named Eugene Sarasoli raised his hand. I'm going, man, they're feeling what I'm feeling. And I was sitting right next to a beautiful girl, redheaded girl named Marcella. And I was a spiritual guy. And I remember I shouldn't have been looking because we we're supposed to have every head bowed, every eye closed. And she's right beside me. 
And I remember, and she had tears flooding down her face. And I remember thinking, because I was a spiritual guy, she looks pretty even with makeup going down. I mean, because I'm a spiritual guy, you know. I, I notice things like that, you know. And uh, I see the best in people. No, but anyway. So here's this young lady next to me, and with tears, and I shouldn't have been listening or looking, but she was right next to me. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that what I was doing, trying to be popular, trying to have somebody say they love me, is why you had to die. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Suddenly the young guy, preacher, saw me. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and he started over. You know how preachers do that? You think you're almost, you know, you're almost to the gate, <laughs> and they start over. Something got them set off, and they start over. Turn to Exodus 14. No, no, I won't do that to you. But I, I want you to know the guy kind of started over. And, but then I never will forget. He said, listen, this isn't a game. Jesus has spared your life. Hell is real. Heaven's real. Life is real. And there's a lot of pain. Jesus says, I came for you. I love you. And he's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to make you. You have to want him. All he asked, this young guy said, was that you not be ashamed of him and that you would love him back. That doesn't seem like too much to ask, does it? Creator of the universe, we've used his name in vain. We live like he's not there. We do whatever we want, and then we have a problem. God, come out, come out. Where, you know what I mean? And all he asks is just love me back. Just make room in your life for me. I want to be a part of your life. I want to keep you from getting back in Egypt. And the young guy said, if you mean business for Jesus, you need to be willing to stand. You need to be willing to say, I want Jesus. And that night, I stood. I did the smartest thing, the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. And there was a man, and they had a place. They said, right here in just the back, and when we, kind of when we broke, he said, there's a table right out here, and there's some refreshments out there, and there'll be somebody to talk to you. And I never will forget after I stood, I said, I, I want Jesus to come into my life. And a guy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Jay, let's talk. And he had had a drug problem. God had delivered him. And this guy showed me verses out of the Bible, and they gave me a Bible. And they invited me to get involved in a Bible study. And I, that night, I asked Jesus in my heart. I went home and flushed the drugs. And if the Bible said, Jay, you need to study the Bible, I started studying the Bible. The Bible said you need to hang around believers. I started hanging around believers. And for once in my life, I did the right way. I didn't hotwire the situation. You know how we do, guys? Well, I know everybody else needs to do that, but I, ask, I, I can just pray and then go on with my... No, no, no. I did what I was supposed to do. And he changed my life. It's been over 40 years. I know I look so young, you have a hard time believing that, and I can, trust me, I, I can relate. But I, I, I want you to know... 40 years ago, I haven't had a drug, I haven't had a joint, a pill, a drink. I've been married 40 years. I got three little grandbabies. I'm not pops or granddad. I'm J-daddy. You know. No, 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 we're not. No. There won't be any pops or anything like that. I can tell you that right now. But anyway, sorry, but. This is all here in the scripture. You got to read further down. All right, but anyway, I just want you to know I'm not telling you about something I tried a couple weeks ago. I'm telling you straight up. In a place that's known for telling things pretty straight up, this church. 
Jesus is real. And he longs for you to know how much he loves you and the life he has for you. The life to come, pretty cool. But now, now, and tonight, today, could be the greatest day of your life. But I had to pray a prayer. I had to call upon his name. I had to ask him into my heart. And I believe there's a lot of us here today that may need to do the same. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor. You know, you can pray just like Jay prayed. Because the thing about God is God offers you a gift. It isn't a religion. It's not jump through hoops. It's a gift. And Jay received that gift 40 years ago. Some of you need to receive that gift today. His name is Jesus. And just as Jay prayed, you can pray. I'm going to guide you in a prayer if you'd like. It's not these are magic words. You can pray your own prayer if you wish. But there's some things that need to be in your heart right now. Number one, you need to believe. Because over and over, there's one word the Bible gives us, and that's believe. See, that's the only way you can connect with God. You can't bring him anything. He owns everything. But you can give him your trust. That's what he wants. So believe. What do you believe? You believe God loves you. You believe you're a sinner because that's easy enough. And then you believe that God made a way for you to get to heaven. You know, guys, I was thinking this week, we always talk about God forgiving us of our sins, but forgiveness is not enough. You know, there are people that commit crimes, and the victims forgive them, but they still have to pay the price. It's not just that God forgives us. He atones. That's the most important thing. In other words, the blood that Jesus shed paid the price for our crimes, past, present, and future. And you believe that. But then Jesus didn't just die for our sins. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, and he rose from the dead, proving that he's God. So he's alive. And see, that's the deal. You're talking to God. You're believing in Jesus as a living son of God. And if you're willing to reach out to him right now, what God did for Jay and what he's done for so many others, he will do in your life. If you're ready to discard religion, if you're ready to discard trying to be the best person you can be and just trust Jesus, why don't you pray with me? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. And I can't help myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe his blood paid the price I believe he arose from the grave I receive him as my king my savior and my deliverer thank you for eternally making me your child in Jesus name amen guys if you just prayed that prayer you may have a lot of questions and I know we're a little congested today but do both of us a favor. If you just prayed that prayer with me, or if you prayed during Jay's message, all you need to do is go back to guest services. Now, hang tight with me just a second. There's a big one out in the lobby. It says guest services and a little one back by the coffee shop. And all you got to do is take your talk to his card and say, I prayed with Mark or I prayed with Jay. And they have a packet that's really important that we want to give you today before you leave campus. There's a DVD in there. And there's a book about the size that somebody who has ADD would write, okay? And that's a book that answers a lot of questions plus a coupon for a new Bible. 
please, there's no hidden agenda. We just want you to get this before you leave campus today. If you just pray to receive Christ, come back to guest services. Just say, I pray with Mark, I pray with Jay, and they will, they will give this to you. So please do that before you leave. I don't, did you, have you guys noticed that all the friends that I bring here are ADD? Did you, have you all noticed that? You know, Hank Jr. had a song, All My Rowdy Friends. I think we're going to just box a series with Johnny Hunt and Jay Strack and call it All My ADD Friends. Did you enjoy Jay today? Let him know. What a blessing he was. Next week, we will tackle the biggest series, the biggest message of the series to date. I promise you, it's called The Deal, and it's been the one I've been waiting for for two years to preach. Cannot wait to see you soon. God bless. Hope you have a wonderful day, and we will see you next weekend.